Welcome to another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, the host, also the founder of The Giving Church, the sponsor of our podcast. This is going to be a special one. We talk about giving leaders, people that are generous in everything that they do. All the great leaders I've ever worked with or or been around have been generous people and generous leaders, and I think they create those institutions. Well, this is coming up is David Jane. He is a church planter raised in London, England, and then six years ago plopped down in central Illinois, small town, plants a church. The story will unfold. You'll be fascinated by it, but from the earliest stages, they demonstrated generosity, which is at the very fabric of who they are. So I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, the host. I'm also the founder of The Giving Church, which sponsors this. We've been blessed over the last couple of months to meet a bunch of leaders around the country that are doing exciting things in different environments, and super blessed to have uh, thousands of you all uh, downloading and listening to an episode. So thank you for that. This week's one of my favorite because it's a little bit unusual. Say, I, I have a theory. It's cool if you build a church and plant a church in Dallas, Texas, or Atlanta, or Los Angeles, where the population is so dense, you could probably get a thousand redheads with left that just to use the left hands, because uh, it's just so many folks. Not to downplay that, my friends out there, but when you drop into Coshocton, Ohio, or you drop into Teano, Virginia, or today's Washington, Illinois, right in the middle of the state, not too far from Peoria, and then you take a British guy and you say, okay, you're, you're the British guy that we're going to parachute into Washington, Illinois to plant a church. And that's where we find ourselves today. If you were with me, not just audio, but video, you would be seeing the backdrop of Connect Church in Washington, Illinois. You'd be seeing the smiling face of David Jane, the church planter. And the cool part is you'd be seeing the inside of their first real facility. Um, and that was where they bought an old Walmart and redid it and just moved into it recently, just in the last few weeks. And we'll get more about that in a minute. But I want to introduce David Jane. Uh, he was a church planter partner with Stadia. Stadia plants churches all over the United States, of course, but also has branched out internationally. I've been blessed to go on a couple of trips to South America with them where they're working with Compassion International. So they do lots of cool stuff. But David Jane is the guy that's in Washington, Illinois, and he joins us. David, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. Especially since your life's probably been a little hectic the last few weeks. We have literally, we just moved in. Our grand opening was last weekend. So hectic is is the word. And I I want to unpack the whole Walmart story because it's an amazing story. I tell your story everywhere. I say it's not fair. It never happened to me when I was planting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's too cool. It's kind of like my Burt Crab, my friend up in Long Island, that somebody won the lottery and gave it to the church. It's like that uh-huh. never happens to me, but, <laughs> but, you know, cool stuff happens to other people. But what I want to key in on, uh, just a couple of introductory things. Why Washington, Illinois? Why David Jane, British guy, plops down there to plant a church? Sure. So um, 1994, this, uh, this young man from London, England, was invited to Washington, Illinois, 
to uh, help with a missions program that we were a part of in England, and we were asked to come and help set it up here by a church in Washington. So uh, growing up, I'd been to America twice. I went to California, I went to Disneyland, and I went to Florida, I went to Disney World. So I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Washington, Illinois. <laughs> I know exactly what to expect. Uh, obviously, when I arrived, it was a little different than what I'd been used to in the two Disneys. Uh, Washington, Illinois is about as rural and uh, in the middle of nowhere as you can ever get. We flew into Chicago, which was fantastic, but then two hours south of Chicago and nothing but cornfields, we arrive in Washington. So the goal was to spend a year here. I loved it, great city. Um, and then the goal was to return back to England. Uh, the church asked if I would consider spending a second year here, and I spent a second year, and it was during that second year that I met, met a young lady from Washington who uh, eventually became my green card and my wife. <laughs> yeah, that's what she goes by. That's her name. Now. It is, yes. <laughs> we eventually okay. fell in love, so it worked out well. So, so, so you transitioned. When, when exactly was Connect planted? Okay, so, so beginning my new life now in uh, the United States, we, we traveled a little, Casey and I, to two or three different areas where we worked on staff at some different churches up near Chicago, uh, some other spots around Illinois. But we ended up back in central Illinois uh, on staff at a church in Peoria, but we're living in Washington. That's where Casey grew up, my wife. And uh, we just had such a burden for this community. And uh, it's a unique situation. Maybe you've encountered this with other churches. We, it's the other side of the river from Peoria. So when we would invite our unchurched neighbors and friends to come to church with us in Peoria, no one wants to cross the river on a Sunday morning. It was a 15-minute drive, but they just didn't want to leave Washington to go there. So we talked to the leadership at Riverside in Peoria, and they very graciously got behind us and sent us out and supported us financially. And in uh, 2013, uh, we launched Connect Church in Washington, Illinois. Okay, so put that in perspective, everybody's listening to me. We're talking to David Jane, church planter, Washington, Illinois. Uh, God directs him here from London. He is uh, six years into this plant, and, it, and I love telling stories. First of all, when I was a young planter, it was one of my favorite things is to find somebody that had already done it and hear their stories. Good, mm -hmm. bad, ugly. It's like success stories, not success stories. You know, just hear those stories. And part of when I launch The Giving Leaders, I want to expose stories. I want to tell that. And a lot of times we, we gravitate to the bigger, the big city, whatever. And, and God directs you to a, a modest place, although fast growing. I was reading about Washington, yeah. Illinois. In the last yeah. 10 years, yeah. you've grown rapidly. Yes. Uh, yeah. But but a modest, uh, a very rural or semi-rural area. Mm -hmm. You come and plant six years ago. That's you plant in September. Within a few weeks, you have a traumatic event. Walk me through that. Sure. So September 2013, we planted, and uh, pre-launch, we were uh, a Stadia church plant. Stadia coached us, and were fantastic. And one of the uh, bits of training they gave us was, you know, get involved in your community, meet with the community leaders, tell them you're there to serve them. So I'd met with the mayor, I'd met with the police chief. I'd met with some superintendents. I said, hey, we're starting this new church. We want to serve our community in whatever way possible. So we were thinking maybe we'd help with some backpack giveaways, you know, that kind of thing. Well, at church uh, in November of 2013, it was a Sunday morning, and uh, people's phones were all going off during my message, and I couldn't figure out why. And it turns out it was a weather alert, and it was going off on everyone's phones at once. So uh, they said there's actually been a tornado sighting 
nearby so we should probably you know seek shelter so we uh we kind of gathered everyone into two middle school locker rooms and here in central illinois it's not uncommon to have tornado warnings tornado uh, watches that kind of thing but uh, i remember stepping outside the back of the school just to kind of get a bearing on how things are going and literally could see coming towards us the just the most huge funnel cloud you've ever seen go back into the locker rooms, tell everyone, you know, to kind of take cover and, and we could hear and feel it. I mean, it was like a freight train passing the school. So it was just and a lot of tears, a lot of fear, but a lot of people singing and praying. Um, we come out and there's some damage to cars outside, some shingles missing of some roofs of the houses nearby. So we're like, wow, that really caused some damage. Well, then we started to move into the neighborhoods just next to the school and it was exactly like any video you've seen on cnn or you know bbc of a massive tornado it, it destroyed a thousand homes that day in washington um miraculously uh, we had good warning that it was coming so a lot of people were able to take shelter miraculously um only one person lost their life that day um but thousands of homes a, a thousand homes destroyed and uh we were at national news and the crazy thing is we, we had these meetings saying, Hey, we as a church, we want to help serve the community and now two months old. And they're like, okay, we need your help. <laughs> we're saying, well, we, we were thinking maybe a backpack. Or two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so you're eight weeks into a plant, you know, that's hectic enough. You're trying to figure uh -huh. out where you're meeting. Is that working? You know, yeah, yeah. my, my, every planter I've talked to in that first year, you're wondering the next Sunday if anybody's going to come back. Oh, you absolutely. Know, you know, yeah. It, so, so you're not, you're, and so then you guys go, got to, got to run to the locker rooms, tornadoes hitting, thousand homes destroyed. And, and this is not a thousand homes in Atlanta, Georgia. This is a thousand homes in a very small area. So what'd you do? How'd you respond? So, yeah, I mean, you know, a thousand homes sounds a lot, but when you put it in the context of Washington that really only has about 5,000 homes altogether, that's, you know, almost 20% of the community has either lost or suffered significant damage to their homes. We had about eight, I mean, we're, we're a brand new church and we had eight families that lost their homes, some of whom were at church that morning and left church to go home to find nothing left. Um, Fortunately, I had a lot of connections still in churches around the country. So a lot of churches knew about us and they sent finances. So within a few days, we had about 50 or $60,000 in donations. So now we're in a place where we can help people financially. We can jump in there and we can um, meet needs. So our house where we lived was literally on the edge of the zone of destruction. So we just grabbed one of our feather flags from the church, put it in my yard, and people just started dropping off supplies and donations. And our garage became, you know, just a, a place to house wheelbarrows and shovels and donated pizza and sandwiches. And people from the church would just show up at our house every day. And the city was cordoned off because of the amount of destruction. You couldn't come in unless you lived inside that zone. And we did. So people were able to come to our house to then go out. And uh, so there were different waves. The first week or two, we were literally just helping people search for belongings, dig up things of their homes. And then about three or four weeks in, it was more of recovery financially. You know, people discovered they didn't have insurance. They, they lost a car and they had no way of getting to work. So we helped. We bought tires for a vehicle. We bought washing machines and dryers. We had somebody donate 50 mattresses to the church. So we would don't 
beds, box springs, and mattresses. We gave those out to people. So, I mean, we, we, we still held services on Sundays, but basically Monday to Saturday was just constantly responding to needs in the community. So lasting effect, the six years that, that since the church planted, yeah. almost, almost six years since that. So uh, does that affect the DNA of how you guys operate now because you came from such a crisis point? It really does because, you know, it's interesting. As a church plant, we kind of made this commitment that we were going to be a church that served its community. Well, then two months in, we have this incredible opportunity to do just that. So I just think from that point on, we've always been outward focused, community focused, um, even to the point now where, and this is great, you know, very often the community will come to us. They'll say, hey, there's a need or this situation's coming up. Do you think Connect could help, could Connect help with this? Everything from, you know, throughout the whole recovery time of the tornado, it was our sound system that they would use. The governor came to visit. We set up the stage and the sound system. The Chicago Bears came and we set up a stage so they could come. And because we had it all in a trailer. I mean, our church was in a box. So we used to get it out. And, <laughs> and even if they just needed a pair of speakers and a microphone, we'd pull up the whole trailer with the Connect Church <laughs> logo on the side, <laughs> right there on the square. And so it was just a great launching point for us as a church not just to get the name out there, but to get the name out that Connect Church really does want to try and help meet needs and connect with our community. Now, um, I, one of the things that I like to talk about, especially in church plants, is when you lay it, you know, the best, plan, best laid plans of mice and men. So you lay mm -hmm. out your plan and the plan takes twists and turns. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've had multiple churches that bought land to build on and never did build on that land, ended up doing something completely different. That ends up being a blessing, but yet it's not what they started out right. to do. So you all, you're growing, church is growing, you're meeting in schools. You, you, I can't remember, did you buy the old church that you used for offices? We were renting an old uh, abandoned church in town for office okay. space, but it was kind of run down. It wasn't, and we couldn't do Sunday services in there. It was, it was big enough for us to have a youth group and a, uh, office space, but we were still having our Sunday services in the school. Okay. So you're in that set and you are growing and you do need space. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, there are the saddleback stories where people grow to thousands in schools, but most don't, you know, mo most that you hit a ceiling pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. And so you're, you're looking around and because it is Washington, Illinois, it is a, a rural modest community. You yeah. don't have, you know, lots and lots of things to look at, nope. but a Walmart moves, a Walmart mm -hmm. is leaving. And you guys get all excited and you go to the auction for the Walmart. Yeah. And, and I'll let you tell it. Cause I, I first of all, <laughs> the, the amount of money you thought you were going to spend makes me laugh. But go ahead. Uh -huh. So uh, yeah, to our listeners who are in major cities around the country, you're going to want to sit down for this part because um, we, uh, the building was up for auction. It sat empty for about two years now, 75,000 square feet. Uh, the most recent occupant had been Tractor Supply Company. Walmart moved out 10 years ago. So Tractor Supply Company were in 25,000 square feet of it. The other 50,000 was empty. Then they moved out. So you've got this retail space, huge, 75,000 square feet. So we're like, let's just try and buy it. So we had a number. I think that number was like maybe 300,000 that we were like, okay, God, <laughs> come on. This, this is your time, God. We're, we're going to tell a story about the day we bid for the old Walmart building and no one else bid and we got it for $300,000. It'll be the front cover of my book that I write. I mean, I, I got it all lined up. I, I told God the greatest plan he could possibly think of. So we bid it. 
Uh, and within 10 minutes, we were outbid. And then within half an hour, we were outbid by a lot. And uh, I just was kind of bummed because I've been praying about it and really felt like this was an ideal spot for us. It was this beautiful build in the middle of town. We actually didn't need 75,000 square feet. We needed about 25,000 square feet, but we figured if we could get it, we'd figure out something for the other 50,000. So. so two guys locally bought the building. They, through connections in the community, heard that we were interested. So they set up a meeting with us. Um, in fact, cool little side story. One of them was a believer. The other one wasn't. So they both showed up on Sunday at church to see if this little church really was legitimate that wants to buy a bit of their building. Um, the one who wasn't a believer has been a member of Connect ever since. This, he's wow. hardly missed a Sunday. He's, his life's been transformed. It's just incredible. And, and now refers to um, his building as his church. You know, he's, he's kind of like, because <laughs> we sat down and started negotiating with them. And he's, he's like, well, I mean, it's my building, but it's also my church. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, so eventually they came back to us and they said, would you be willing to buy... Um, just the retail space, the 25,000 square feet for $400,000. Wow. And, uh, we said, absolutely. <laughs> so, well, but, but paint the picture because it, it is an older Walmart, but still Walmart's huge. Oh, yeah. And, and there's a, the parking is significant. Massive, massive. And what these two guys didn't realize, well, actually what these two guys realized, but others hadn't, is that after that tornado, the building was empty, but it was still owned by Walmart properties. So they discovered that there was damage to the roof. So in 2014, on this abandoned 75,000 foot square built building, they replaced the entire roof and all of the air conditioner units. Wow. And it's continued to sit empty for another three years with <laughs> brand new roof, and I know, Phil, you're in the construction, you know, church construction. You know, some of these churches, they'll buy these old Sam's Clubs, Walmart's, Best Buy's. They'll get a great deal. Then they find out the roof needs redoing, and it costs them more to do the roof than it costs for the building itself. So. Well, I, I, I will give you a little bit of insight. I, I, we work with a church in Colorado that's in an old Sam's Club. And the fellow that they bought it from, or not bought it from, they're leasing it, but the, yeah. that, that owns it is, buys these facilities. And he was an mm -hmm. interesting guy one day. I, I met him for lunch. Okay. And he showed me a website you can go to where you can find all the Sam's Clubs, Walmarts, all those that are for sale around the country. But he cautioned, he says, two things you have to understand. When they go through their life cycle, it's the roof and the HVAC that are about to go out right when they sell them. Right. So, so then you, you get a part of a Walmart for 400 grand. So the price of an, a decent house. Yeah. And, and then, Oh, we've got new roof, new HVAC. Yeah. Okay. So, so, but for those that are listening, you're going to want to throw up because it's going to get worse. <laughs> I know. Okay. So, 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 so these, that's where the story ended. I'd be uh, thanking yeah, God. Yeah, I know. I know. Cause so, so the, the two people that outbid you, approach you to buy a portion you really can't handle the whole thing right now anyway so that's great exactly they're going to use it for storage or something so they don't yep. even need all that parking yep okay so now pick up your you're just now raising money designing what you're going to do and another tragedy hits your community what happens it's, honestly it's it's unbelievable so we um we literally are, are in the process of closing. We're talking to architects about the layout of the building. So currently it's 25,000 square feet of empty space. And our neighbor, I mean, maybe 300 yards from this building next door is the only car dealership in town. They're called Afterings, huge car dealership, 80 employees. Um, 
I get a call from someone saying, hey, did you see the car dealerships on fire? I said, no. So we drove by there. I mean, this, I mean, it's not just like a small, it's the entire structure is on fire. There's 15, 20 fire trucks, you know, I mean, this, it's obvious that this place is not going to, you know, be salvageable. This was the Friday. Um, I think there was still smoke coming out of the building Saturday morning when I get a call from the guy who owns the building. And he said, hey, um, I have 80 employees, most of whom live here in Washington. Um, we're guessing we're going to be out of business for at least a year while this building gets rebuilt. We can possibly find a space nearby to sell the cars, maybe somewhere else to service the cars. I might be able to find jobs for some of these employees at other dealerships around town. Is there any way you would consider pushing your plans back by a year so we could set up shop in your building, sell cars, service cars, paint, body shop for a year? Could we rent your space? And again. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that, that in itself, because I, I remember when, when you called and we talked about that, my uh -huh. first thought was, well, if you say no, you're the church in town that laid off 80 people. Exactly. <laughs> and we're also the church that for five years keep talking about our heart to help the community. And we're like, yeah, but I don't know if we want to help them that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but, but this guy was not uh, coming with his hat in his hand. He was being, he had some, a generous offer. So walk oh, through the offer. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, 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 to be honest with you, I joke about it, but it was an easy decision for us to make, despite the fact that in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to tell our setup and teardown team, hey guys, 52 more weeks, uh, Illinois winter, Illinois summer, we're going to set up and tear down for another whole year because we're going to give up the building to the dealership. But, um, so funny story, I talked to a, um, I, 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 I'm a pastor of a church in central Illinois. I have no idea how much business space leases for. So I talked to someone I know who's in retail and I met with the guys at the car place. I said, you know, the advice we've been given is this would be, you know, our rent for the month. And uh, this, there's four or five guys from this dealership and it, they just all kind of looked at me and went, hmm, yeah, I don't know about that. And, and I felt like, man, this, these guys are car dealers. You know, they're, right. they're, uh, <laughs> they're not going to take you're gonna, You're going to walk away where they own your building somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm feeling like. But, um, but they're also wonderful people. And uh, so we, we agreed on a price for rent. And, um, I mean, I'm not kidding. I bet by the end of the year, they'd probably pay down a third of our mortgage just in what they paid for rent while they were there, maybe a little under that. But here's the crazy thing, Phil, and this is where I just keep thanking God. And it was such a great relationship between us and them. So not only were they in there for a year, but um, they, they had to redesign the building a bit to put restrooms in for their employees, to put um, a service bay in the back. So they kept coming back to us and saying, well, we're thinking about putting restrooms. Where, where would be the best place for you in the future? So we said, well, if you can keep them on the... Uh, this side of the building. So they spent tens of thousands of dollars digging up the floor, running all the plumbing, which we then didn't have to spend when we came to put our restrooms in. Um, on top of that, the city had certain um, stipulations. There was a, a, a wall that wasn't really up to fire code. So they had to redo some of that wall. And they found out that when we moved in, we would have to do the remainder of the walls. They just did the whole wall themselves. And then when it did come time for us to finally do our renovations, I had 
electricians, plumbers, HVAC people coming back to us saying, hey, we said that it was probably going to be this much, but now we've got inside and seen how much afterings have done, it's going to be a lot less. Wow. And we probably saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in, um, in expenses. But you know the best story of it all, Phil? I, I'm good friends now with this guy. He's a good, godly man, the owner of this dealership. He said, Dave, we had our most successful year as a dealership in your location. I have wow. car salesmen who come and say, Dave, I sold more cars out of your building than I sold out of a dealership in 15 years working for this company. The mayor was thrilled that the business stayed in town and that the tax dollars remained. And uh, it was just a, an incredible story. And, and because he's a believer as well, anytime it was on the news or spoken about, God just kept getting praised. It was like, you know, every time I spoke about it, I gave the glory to God. Every time he spoke about it, he gave the glory to God. It was just unbelievable. I think it's, there's so many different things I think is cool about the story. First of all, um, like I said at the beginning, at the introduction, we have an idea, we have a direction. What I call you gather all the available light you have, but you take a step in the darkness. Yeah. So you gather the light and you guys go bid. You've got this crazy idea. God's going to give you the building cheap. And in reality, he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's not the way you thought. Exactly. So, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to let the guys that buy it sell you part of it that you really need. Then I'm mm -hmm. going to have this other thing after this, this terrible things happens, they're going to be able to use it for a period of time. It delays that. So, to, but walk through that part. So you go back to the church because we've talked about it in the past. You have to go back to church. You've already raised money to, to build out this Walmart space. God, God gave you as a miracle. And you guys say, Hey, we can't, we got to delay for at least a year. Mm -hmm. How was that? How was it received by the church? So it was great. It was, you know, I, I joked earlier that the setup and teardown team weren't thrilled at the idea <laughs> of having to set up for another year. But being able to tell the story of how we as a church have been able to impact the community by giving up our plans for a year, by helping local families stay in employment. Um, I, the church were just so excited and so proud to be part of that story. I just, you know, even the setup and tear down team, they got it. You know, it was, um, no, we, we felt like this was the right thing to do. It, it made them feel like I'm, I'm glad to be a part of connect because we want to be known as that church that makes a difference in our community. Okay. So fast forward now we're church is six years old. Mm -hmm. uh, after the 40 years in the wilderness, you had just now moved into your new revamped cool space, yep. which if, it, if, if our listeners could see, your, it's your <laughs> backdrop right now. I can see your cool building. Um, I, I warn leaders a lot that when you move spaces, especially if you enlarge spaces when you move, it can be a cultural shock. Mm -hmm. It can look and feel different immediately, which can be a very good thing or sometimes can be a little bit of a scary thing. So yeah. you just just made that move. What's it been like? So, I mean, it is funny because you, you, as a church planter, we were six years old and you're always looking for something to get a momentum boost. You know, maybe it's a, a new outreach, a new series, something in the community, you know, to try and get a little bit of a... Um, and people would tell me, once you move into a building, you're going to see new people come. And I didn't want to just assume that was going to happen, but I'd heard it from enough different people that we were kind of ready for it. So we had a soft launch and then our grand opening. So our grand opening was last weekend. During the soft launch, we're a small enough community that word got out that we were open. So pretty much within a week or two, we were 200 more people than our regular service. Now, to put that in context, 
Our attendance uh, in August of 2018 averaged around 450. Our attendance in August of 2019 averaged 650. Wow. Yeah. So, so it wasn't just a growth of 200 people. It was a growth of 50%. So that's a very different look on a Sunday morning. Last weekend was our grand opening. We had 978 people come out. <laughs> so everyone in church is super excited, super thrilled at everything that's going on, except me. I'm terrified. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking out thinking that church that I was a pastor of two months ago, I'm the pastor of a different church. And, it, and you, you hit the nail on the head, Phil. It's the culture thing. I've realized that, you know, that we are now in a new phase of Connect's journey. And I'm wrestling with that as a leader now. You know, what, is, what does that look like for the uh, Dave Jane, the lead pastor, to be the pastor of a, a bigger church that didn't grow gradually into that size, that overnight went right. from being a portable set-up teardown to a brand-new church location building with 50% more people? Well, statistically modeling, uh, your attendance, like at something special, like a grand opening or at an Easter yeah. is who you, that's your potential. That's who you can be in about 18 months. Right. So that's, that's usually statistically, if you stay on track, do what you're doing, that's okay. where you can be. So if you take the 450 you were a year ago <laughs> and the 978, it's like, okay, we could actually be twice the size in a year or so. Now the, the, what I always caution is you as a leadership team, have to act like you're already there. Right. You have to, you know, policies, procedures, programming, yeah. language is like we're already there. Yeah. And in the hard part too, is I always challenge the, the, especially the lead pastors, is you have to make a list of this is what I do. Now, if we're twice the size, what, size, what will I still do? And what will somebody else do? Right. And that, that's, um, you have adapted so well to the wild ride of Mr. Toad for the last six years. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, so I, I, I've no doubt that you'll continue to adapt. And I always want to keep coming back to this story as everybody's listening to us. 978 is impressive, no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. If you're the average church in the United States is 90 on Sunday, 75% of all churches have less than 200 people on Sunday. So if you're at 978, you're already in rare air. You're, you're, when you have that grand opening 978, yeah. we know the, the Stephen Furtick's, the Andy Stanley's, but those are the aberrations. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's huge. And then when you put that number in context to Washington, Illinois, you know, that, that's, yeah. that's kind of like, it's, it's very much like when you talk about the thousand homes that are destroyed by the tornado. Yeah. That's one out of four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a huge number. So, so what's, What's the dream? What's on the front? What are, what are you dreaming about? What are you looking at? What are your challenges right now? So I've, that's, that's a great um, way of kind of summarizing it all because I, I got a friend who's a pastor and they've been in their permanent location for a while now. And I called him a while back when I was talking about moving in. And he said, uh, let me ask you a question. He goes, do you know how to turn on your headset mic? Do you know which button turns it on? I said, yeah, there's a switch on it. You turn it on and off. He goes, good. He goes, make sure that's the only thing you know how to do in that building. And <laughs> And it's great advice because I'm a doer. I want to figure out how the cameras work and how the air conditioning works and how that, do you know what I mean? And, right. and six months ago, we were a church where I could be involved in a lot of these and have hands on a lot of these different things that are happening in the church, you know, and, and, and I enjoy doing that probably to a fault. But now I'm realizing that the future of the church requires me to not 
be involved in everything and to raise up leaders and to hire staff and to find people to empower to to do all of these things but i'm excited because i think when we get there it'll free me up to then be able to really narrow down what i do and do that really well so instead of the future scaring me with more people more responsibilities it actually excites me because it'll give me an opportunity, hopefully, to get to that point where I'm doing more of just a few things and doing those few things better. Uh, last question, um, and I probably should have started with this, but I, I didn't. You, you walked us through your journey. Uh, you're from London. Mm -hmm. You've been long time Central Illinois. Yeah. Um, what, what is the, the difficulty with evangelical church penetrating Great Britain, London? And I know there's some bright spots, sure. but but overall, why do you think it's it's tougher ground? So, I mean, Western Europe, England is definitely much more of a post-Christian society than the United States, although the United States is definitely headed that way more from the coasts inward. So any of your listeners today who are on the West Coast or East Coast, they're like, yeah, we're there already. We're here in central Illinois, so we're about 10 years from being there. So there's still a very churched mentality here in the Midwest. Uh, in fact, I think, funny enough, that's part of why God brought this Englishman from London to central Illinois, because um, I've come from a place where people aren't Christians. They didn't grow up going to church, and this is new. And to be honest with you, I liked that. Because when you witness to someone like that, you're starting on ground zero. You're like, let me tell you about this Jesus guy. Here, I found myself saying, okay, so I know you go to church every Sunday, and I know you listen to the Christian station, and you do. Let me explain, though, who this Jesus guy is, because you're kind of missing that part of the whole conversation here. So, so now here at Connect, our, our, our growth has been predominantly unchurched and de-churched families. Which is fantastic because 20 years ago in Washington, Illinois, that wasn't much of a demographic, but things have changed. So uh, we started a church at a time where there was a few really good established traditional churches in town, but there wasn't really a contemporary church that was expecting unchurched people to come. So when we started with that mindset, which again, growing up in England is kind of all I knew, um, folks started showing up who either didn't attend church or Husbands grew up in the Catholic church, wife grew up in the Methodist church. They've been married a few years. They've had kids. They feel like they should get their kids into church, but she's been to the Catholic church. She can't stand it. He's been to the Lutheran church. He can't stand it. They come to connect and they're like, oh, well, we both like this. So, and the kids like it. So, so that's what I would class our de-churched members, you know, who maybe grew up going to church, but haven't been in a while. So, um, I think, I think what's, and, and funny enough, so my friends back in England now and Western Europe will tell me that they're seeing God move in ways that they've not seen in their lifetime because there's just, um, you know, the verses where sin abounds, grace abounds. And sometimes in the midst of the darkness, the light shines even brighter, you know, so um, there's some really exciting things happening back in the UK right now. And, uh, and amazingly, you know, some of the largest churches growing in the UK are um, African churches, um, you know, uh, different colonies, you know, like Barbados, Bahamas, you know, people who are Jamaica who are moving to England and then sort of some cultural churches like that. And, uh, but bringing their faith with them as well, you know, bringing the, uh, their experience of God with them. So, but yeah, that's, that's what's going on in the UK. And I think that's what, my experience of growing up in the UK is helping me in here in Washington, Illinois, 
Great insight. I think you're right. I think that uh, uh, you look at the the museum churches of Europe that are beautiful edifices with not a lot yeah. of folks. Yeah. And you can drive, to, you can actually go to most major cities in the United States and go down into the city and find mm-hmm. some from the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s that are the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's definitely a wave. And, and I'll say this, Phil, as well, listen to, to all your listeners today who are in a Washington, Illinois, somewhere across the country. Um, the, the church, church planting especially, has realized there's a need for new contemporary churches to reach that next generation. So you go to Atlanta or Dallas or Indianapolis, you're going to find a lot of church plants. They're going to have contemporary names like Connect. They're going to be reaching the next generation of young families. But you go to a Washington, Illinois or Eureka or Morton or Germantown Hills, the little bedroom communities surrounding Peoria where I live, and every one of them will have one of those museum churches you just talked about. They'll have a Methodist church or a Catholic church. Very few of them will have a church that's, but they've still got young families. They've still got another generation of folks who are growing up, who have kids, who maybe grew up going to church, but the church they grew up going to is still catering to their parents. So now as a young family, they've got nowhere. I think there's a greater need now than there ever has been to plant churches in small communities. And they're not going to be exciting. And they're not going to be huge. And they're not going to be, you know, these great, but there's just as much of a need in these communities as there is in the metropolitan areas across America. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, you've been listening to The Giving Leader. I'm the host, Phil Ling. David Jane from Washington, Illinois, Connect Church, six years old, two weeks ago, moved into their new facility in an old Walmart, 978 people that week. It's been a wild ride, and he's doing an excellent job. Thank you, David, and thank, thank you, you all for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, the host. You can go to thegivingchurch.com, find out more information about our organization. Thanks to David Jane for being my guest.